Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. What a joy to be with you all again today. And uh, if I haven't said to you yet, happy 2024. Happy New Year. And I really mean that as we've been uh, away these last couple of days and I've been praying for the year. I just have such a sense that 2024 is a year of breakthrough. That it's something that we are going to walk into. And I'm aware that some of us are facing some big challenges still. But 2024 is going to be a year of breakthrough. And as I was praying for what I should be sharing this first Sunday of the year, the Lord led me to a very unusual scripture in a very unusual book. Probably the strangest part of scripture, that is the Song of Solomon. What is it doing there? Do you know that in the Middle Ages, this was the most popular book to write a commentary about? If you know what a commentary is, it's a, it's a book talking about a book. (laughs) It is uh, trying to explain another book and how it works and how it fits together. But of course, in the Middle Ages, they believed that it was what's called an allegory. That is a very fancy kind of word picture. So every little detail should be interpreted as something else. Need I say that all those commentaries uh, disagreed with one another, every single one of them, because when you leave it up to us to interpret Scripture... We come up with some very interesting ideas, and my ideas is not necessarily your ideas. It's God's ideas we need. So we're going to look at it, having said all of that, because most people nowadays believe that it's it's what it is at surface value, which is a love story. Quite a racy love story, actually, if you read it quite literally, full of uh, sexual innuendo and overtones. Our best understanding is that it is an incredible picture of how committed God is to love in the context of marriage. And it's the story of uh, two people, a lover and a beloved, as they court and get married. In chapter 2, though, there are these two verses that I want us to read. And then I'd I'd like to try and explain what they mean in context and then how I believe the Lord wants us to apply them to ourselves. Because as I was preparing this, as I said, I really felt the Lord speak this for us. And as I started preparing, I realized, oh, it's not for us. It's for us. Starts with me. And the Lord's already been taking me on a journey around this. And I'd really like, like it if I could include you in that journey. And it's not just, it's a journey that's starting now, but is going to continue to bear fruit through the rest of the year. So, Song of Solomon 2, and I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. And it's verse 15 mostly, but I wanted to read verse 14 to kind of give some context. I'm one of those crazy guys. I can't just read the scripture out of context and make it say whatever I wanted to. I have to try and make it say what it is. And for me, I'm speaking this verse 14 to Nadine. 
my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And then she says to me, catch the little foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. So just a couple of words about what the hang this means. I've already introduced the two characters, the man and his lover. And just as a silly aside, at this point, I remember Nadine saying to me, please don't ever try and court me with what phrases you think are romantic out of the Song of Songs. Oh, your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming out from having been shorn. She said, that just doesn't do it for me. And that's part of one of the big challenges of the Song of Songs is the fact that how, what, what we think is romantic language changes radically from generation to generation. And this was probably written down 3,000 years ago. So there might have been a few fashion trends between now and then. And that, that really makes it difficult. And maybe if, if, you, if you're happy with being called a goat, then, and you find that romantic, well, good on you, basically. So what's happened is there are several kind of acts, if you want to call it that, in the Song of Solomon. And the, the man, the lover, has gone away, and he's now come back, and he's been trying to find his lover, and he finds her. But he's outside her home, so he's waiting to get on the property. You know, when I, when I picture this in my mind, I, I think I picture it as this couple being, and, and there's some hints of this, of being kind of upper class, fairly wealthy and to-do, having servants, uh, you know, so she doesn't go and open the door herself. She waits for others to do it for her. And he's waiting outside in the meanwhile. And while he's waiting outside, he's busy complimenting her. He's, he's allowing what he feels to be verbally expressed to her. And she responds to him. And he's, he's trying to say, oh, baby, how lovely you are. You're so marvelous. And she says, catch for us the foxes. Not the first thing that he would probably have thought she was going to say. And guys, and I can only speak as a guy here, you might have experienced that from the lady you wooed, where sometimes, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> but it's really, it's an really amazing, um, amazing thing that she says. If, if we can take it the opposite way to which she says it. She says, lastly, our vineyards are in bloom. The season is right. The season is here. I've already made the statement. I believe that 2024 is a year of breakthrough. The season is now. Our vineyard is in bloom. We've been sowing faithfully as individuals and corporately over quite a period of time. Some of those times, like last year, were especially challenging for many of us. But sowing is done so that there can be a harvest and a reaping. And we've sowed, we've continued to persevere. And she's, the, 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 
the beloved is saying here, the time is right, the season is here. Now, what can muck it up? It's those little things that can muck it up. The little foxes. So today I want to share about the little foxes. Today, nowadays, we've swallowed the challenge to set BHAGs. You know what that is? If you're in coaching or anything like that, you'll know what a BHAG is. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. We love these things that are just so overwhelmingly, but we've lost our ability to do the small stuff. We've lost the ability to catch the little foxes. And we will never achieve our huge goals unless we reestablish our ability to do the small day-by-day things. We truly do despise the day of small beginnings. Functionally. We say we don't, but functionally we do. And we've lost our ability to catch the little foxes, to catch the little things that can trip us up people as so what are these little foxes for us as a, as a group of people, as Venture Church? I would say that the biggest thing is that they are habits. Habits that are unhelpful. So some of these unhelpful habits are bad. But not all of them are bad. Some of them are just unhelpful. They are leading us in a different direction to the one that the Lord is trying to lead us in. They are unhelpful. They're leading us away. We love the big, big wins, even big failures. Sometimes we can celebrate big failures. But we ignore and and, and overlook the small. We love the big animals, the rhinos, the elephants big things. And this can trip us up, especially in the long term, because it's the little foxes that eat the roots of the vines and therefore prevent the vines from bearing fruit. So this is a year of of breakthrough, I believe, I've declared. What's going to prevent that breakthrough manifesting as we were just singing about? It's going to be not catching the little foxes. Only focusing on the big at the expense of the small. This is going to be a year filled with hundreds, possibly thousands of small victories. And you know what happens? Small victories mount up into big successes. Our society really doesn't help us. It teaches us to celebrate the big Only the big counts. No. The biblical picture, the godly worldview, says big and small count. But we need to give attention to the small, to the little foxes. So what what are these things? I'd like to start by saying this. Faithfulness is spelt consistency. Faithfulness is spelt consistency. They're not synonymous because faithfulness involves faith and consistency doesn't necessarily involve faith. But I'd like to say this. If you're believing the Lord for breakthrough, if you're believing the Lord for more, 
That's your faith. Now consistency in walking towards that goal, one little step at a time, that consistency is what is essential. It is the strategy. In Greek, the Greek word for general is strategos, from which we get our English word strategy. The general, general Jesus has the strategy. It's inherent. It's right there in his title. He is the divine, ultimate, perfect strategist, seeing the whole landscape, stuff over the hill that we can't even conceive of yet. He sees already, and he strategizes our lives, our details. And he says, will you be faithful in the little, consistently faithful? Consistency is good. I already said that. But it needs to be consistency in obedience to the Lord and His ways. Oh, I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to live my own way. We'll say a little bit more on that later. What are the little things? What are it's daily habits? It's daily habits. There's a lot. Um, there are a lot of uh, videos and shorts and things going on, going around at the moment. And I don't just mean now at the beginning of the year, though. Yes, now at the beginning of the year, about. For instance, get up and make your bed. They're good things. But we're talking about faithful, obedient consistency. So yes, get up and make your bed. Dare I say it, get up, make your bed, and read your Bible. Daily. So that it's like breathing. So that it feels weird if your routine is different and somehow you've got to put your Bible reading in somewhere else in the day, get up, read your Bible. Why am I making an issue of that? Because I can read the Bible any time of the day. Amen. Do it. Absolutely. But why is first thing in the day important? Because for the same reason that the principle of get up and make your bed is important, it sets the tone in our skulls between our ears. It sets the tone for the day. When we put reading the Bible in that place, it sets the tone for the day. Even if you're reading the first couple of chapters of Ezra, and it's full of names, and so-and-so returned with his sons and his 563 um, other people in his family, and this, and pages, and pages. It puts us in a different context. Why? Because we think, who were all these people? They've been dead for two and a half thousand years. Why is this important? You know, somehow the Holy Spirit gets into our heads. People are important to God. Even though they're now dead, He chose to record their names, their lineages, and the fact that they, in the case of Ezra, had gone back to Jerusalem. So our daily, personal, I'm going to say private habits... Our relational habits. We can be super casual with how we speak to people, to other people. We need to form good habits around our relationships, around how we communicate, not take one another for granted. I've had the privilege of being, sometimes I introduce myself and say, I'm, I'm recently married, just 28 years. 29 in November. 
It is super easy when you've been married for a, a while to take your partner for granted. Yeah, you know they're flipping amazing, but you're so used to them being amazing day in, day out that you forget to tell them. Relational habits. Make sure we verbalize what we really feel. Don't allow things to be taken for granted. But also intentional habits. Can I call them external habits? I want to talk about mention, not talk about, mention, prayer. So private prayer? Yes. That's, that is the, uh, the more modern idea behind the biblical idea of meditation. Eastern meditation says, empty your head. Let the devil, no, no, it just says empty your head. Biblical meditation says, fill your head and your heart with the word and the ways of the Lord. So be intentional in studying and in learning and understanding and applying the ways of the Lord. We, I'm talking about habits, Jesus first, but also to his people. It's a scripture which says, I see the Lord always before me. It's, it's phrased that way in Acts 2, but Acts 2 is quoting Psalm 16. And I'd like to say we need to establish personal habits of prioritizing. If we're not in the habit when we have a decision to make of prioritizing, asking the Lord, remembering what it is that the Lord's been saying to us, because the Lord will often speak to us about stuff that's going to happen later in the day that we don't have context for now. It's like, why, why is this? I'm, I'm excited by this, but I don't know. what do I do with it? And it'll come up later in that day often. That's it, Lord. Then you don't have to spend hours and hours deliberating. The Lord's already prepared you. But cultivate the habit of prioritizing personal... See, I didn't even, when I was preparing this, I didn't even find a good phrase for articulating this. Personal priorities was as close as I could get it. The habit of how we make personal priorities, how we make decisions, the priorities we use to make personal decisions. Jesus first, and others are included. I hope that's not too, too vague. I want to share something with you. There's, there is a, there's an apparent contradiction in the Scriptures. In Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, they say this. Verse 4 says, Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you'll be like him yourself. And verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Okay, how does that work? Well, I want to add another one or another variation to that. Do what's right because it's right. There needs to be in our hearts a commitment that says, I'm going to do what's right even though others around me aren't doing what's right. I'm not going to be like the other consultants who are happy to, you know, pass over a bottle of whiskey or some kind of uh, bribe, manipulation. I'm not going to be like, I'm going to do what is right and trust the Lord that He is my provider. 
Not this amazing deal that's in front of me that I'm going to lose if, if I don't uh, bend the rules a, bit, a little bit. We need to cultivate an attitude, a habit, that says we are going to do what's right because it's right. And then the second half of the verse, don't do what's right just because it's right. I couldn't leave that just out. Don't do what's right because it's right. Don't do what's right just because it's right. In other words, internalize why is this right. So it's not good enough just to do what's right. I remember when I was a, a not, not long a Christian, I once heard this phrase. So you go to church and you do the right thing and you believe that makes you a Christian. Do you believe that if you slept in a garage, it would make you a motor car? Do what's right because it's right, but don't do what's right just because it's right. It's more than doing the right thing that counts. It is obedience and not mindless obedience, but willing I was going to say happy, but no, not always happy. Willing, voluntary obedience. The second thing I felt the Lord really wanting to focus on in terms of these little foxes was living at peace with Him. Why? If you're a Christian here today, and I believe at least most of us are, I am at peace with God. Amen. But again, functionally... We don't live like we're at peace with God. If you are like me, you've been a Christian for some time, you will know this truth. There is a strong likelihood that the sins you committed as a Christian are actually way worse than what you committed before. And if you are somebody who loves Jesus, that strikes you to the heart in a way it never did before you knew him. You feel utterly self-condemned. Well, there are some things the Scripture says about that. Don't run from Him. It takes real humility to confront sin and wrong and to admit, I have blown it, and then to go to the God. One of the reasons why Psalm 51 is so amazing, you know Psalm 51, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. And if you read the, the caption, it says, a Psalm of David, after uh, he had slept with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. Against you and you only, O Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil. No. There are at least two other people directly affected in the story, by your sin. But he recognizes, Lord, it's against you first that I have sinned. If I had not allowed habits in my head and my heart, I would not have put myself in this situation and done this. So first of all, we need to bring our situations to God. I'd already hinted at that, talking about uh, personal priorities, how we make them. The Lord is saying, I want you to live at peace with me. Maybe there are habits that are big and that you're truly battling with, that are deep and profound and need lots of help 
lots of time. Okay, God wants you to live at peace with him. It is we who keep ourselves away from God, not him from us. He would, you know, coming into the presence of God without forgiveness when we've sinned is very, very uncomfortable. And that's why we try and avoid it. The ridiculous thing is coming into his presence with repentance in our hearts is the most liberating and reassuring and reaffirming thing that we can do. And that's the attitude God wants us to have, is to have an attitude of, come into my presence. If you come under conviction, repent quickly, but be at peace with me. Don't stay away. Don't hide. Get into my presence. The issue is, or should I say, the challenge is one of lordship. The challenge for us is one of lordship. There can be only one. Okay, I love that movie, but I'm old enough. I saw that it turned 30 years a couple of days ago. It was the first movie that was released, The Highlander. There can be only one. But there can be only one Lord of your life. Spiritual bipolar is a terrible way to live, and it is not a life of peace with God. God wants you to live at peace. The challenge is one of lordship. There can be only one, Jesus or you. Everything about our culture makes us want to choose me. So we're fighting an uphill battle because everything we read about subconsciously, subliminally, as a subtext somewhere in there is saying, no, 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 you are the captain of your own ship. You direct, you direct your life. The crazy thing is that if we are willing to lay down our lives, to give them to Jesus, to make him, to crown him as Lord. You know, the crowning is not when somebody becomes king or queen. I'm just thinking of the coronation in England last year. The king was king. Charles was king before the coronation. From the moment his mother was dead, he was king. You know the, the declaration. The queen is dead. Long live the king. The continuity. But the coronation is the public declaration. And it was some ridiculous number of people, three and a half billion people or something, who watched the coronation. Public declaration. When we make Jesus Lord, when we crown him as Lord, we make the public declaration. We live functionally like Jesus is Lord, not just lip service. When we do, when we celebrate him as, as Lord, the amazing thing is he gives us back new life, one where he is still Lord and tells us, to steer our ship as he leads us. So we don't lose that autonomy. We live at peace with him under his authority. And I really felt the Lord saying, one of the little foxes that's tripping or that can trip us up this year is not living functionally at peace with God under his lordship. The third area is the reward of faithfulness. 
And I'm going to read to you two verses from Luke that both point to the, the different parables, but the same truth in them. Let me read them and then it's easier to explain. The first is Luke 16:10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. And the second one's also in Luke 19:17. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you've been faithful in a very small matter. Have authority over ten towns. <laughs> so the first one is in the parable of what is variously called the shrewd manager, the unjust manager. It's one of the most uh, unusual parables of Jesus. Here he's telling a story about somebody who is clearly corrupt, and he says he's commended for making a life for himself out of corruption. How's that work? Well, that's not for today. But he does say in there, Whoever is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. He does not say, oh, if you're faithful with much, you'll be faithful with little. There is an order. We want to jump straight to the top of the pile. We don't want to be faithful in little first. We want to just have the much and be faithful in much. This is at the heart, by the way, of what is wrong with the so-called prosperity gospel. Oh, Jesus, I need a new Mercedes-Benz. The four I've already got, they aren't enough. We want the much, but we're not prepared to have the little. The, some of the truly wealthy people I've known in my life were very happy to drive 10-year-old uh, Toyota Corollas when they could have been driving Bentleys and who knows what else. We passed a Maserati 4x4 on the way back from, from the coast. Don't think I've ever seen such a thing. They're probably the only one in the country anyway. The point is, we want the big and believe we'll be faithful in it without showing that we are faithful in the small. The second one is the story of the talents, the parable of the talents. And in Luke's version, he calls them, he says, um, this, this, this one that I, that I quoted from verse 17 is the guy who he'd given uh, 100 drachmas to. So a drachma is, was a, a Greek name for a coin, and it was a day's wages. So 100 days' wages. You have been faithful with 100 days' wages, so I'm going to give you 10 towns. Now that is an insane return on investment. Any of you who are involved in investing, that's like orders of magnitude greater. It is really, really important to the Lord. And he keeps repeating this message everywhere. There is a reward to faithfulness in finding and getting rid of the little foxes, the little things, the daily habits, the stuff done in private, the attitudes, the when you're on your own in your car and you really want to turn the air blue at that taxi that just cuts you off and, and, and everything else. In choosing to say, I take captive those thoughts to the obedience of Christ, and Lord, may you deal with them, but I will serve you. 
Those are the little things. Those are the little foxes. Because guess what? <laughs> you are like a we. <laughs> we are like a tube of toothpaste. You can rebrand it and say it's tomato ketchup. But when you squeeze it, what's inside comes out. That's why the little foxes are important. Blessings will come. Usually in a time and in a manner that's unexpected. God is not like our heavenly banker, where we say, Lord, I'm, I'm depositing this money now so that you can give it back to me when I really need it later on. Sometimes when we really need it right now, the Lord provides for us in other ways. And that's one of the reasons why we miss it, or it's easy to miss, is because it's not tit for tat. The Lord is not uh, limited to some kind of spiritual version of Newton's second law. For every force, there is an equal and opposite force. It may work in the universe. Einstein told us it didn't. But it doesn't work with the Lord. There is a growing to and in greatness that comes only by faithful obedience. So, what have I said? What are we talking about? Catch the little foxes. The small matters. The small matters. Personal spiritual habits, consistent faithfulness, and what I call priority habits. Still not a good, but doesn't, hopefully you understand what I mean by that. Prioritizing based on God's value system, God's agenda, not just ours. God wants us to live at peace with him. Not make, making the effort to be at peace with God. Those small things. Oh, I can do it later. Oh, I don't feel good today. I don't want to come into your presence, Lord. Living at peace with God practically on a daily basis. Living under his lordship without fear, without guilt, or at least guilt feelings. Being faithful in the little enables him to entrust us with much. He wants abundance for you and I. I'd like us to respond to what the Lord's been saying. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And there are three things that I, I really felt that we should do now. I would like to lead us in a prayer of commitment to repeated, small, Simple actions that form godly habits. Because there is no such thing as an easy habit to form, except a bad one. Those seem to be ridiculously easy. But there are no good habits that happen accidentally. They take intentionality. Then, and I have no idea how the Lord's going to work this out. Maybe it's just prayer. Maybe it's by demonic manifestation, but I believe there is a need for deliverance from the deception of an angry father. Find peace. You can do it right here, right now, today. There may be patterns to unlearn, principles to relearn, but God wants to deliver you. And then together we are need to, and I'll lead us in this, a declaration of our trust in God 
for what the real riches are that he wants to pour into our lives. So first of all, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Can I ask you to just close your eyes so you can do business with God? Faithful Father, as we stand before you now, Holy Spirit, won't you be at work in each and every one of our hearts, pointing out the little foxes so that we can catch them. But if you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, maybe you've been to church all your life, but you recognize that he is not Lord, you can do so now. And I'd like to start by by praying with you for that. Pray this in your heart. Jesus, I come to you believing that you are who you say you are, the Son of God, that your life and your death on the cross was in my place for my sin. Forgive me. Won't you come and live in me? Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I submit and yield myself to you in Jesus' name. And for all of us, pray something along these lines. In your heart, in your head, Lord, we recommit ourselves this year or from this year, from this moment, to realign our habits, to realign prioritizing being in your presence, being at peace with you, to trusting you that you are our provider. Lord, we commit ourselves to life your way. Not just your will, but your will your way. So we recommit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. If you battle with a practical understanding of God as a loving Father, I really want to pray for you especially right now. If that's you as I pray, embrace this prayer. Make it your own. Trust the Lord that he will drive out all fear because he is a loving Father. Almighty God, I call you that even though you also tell me to call you our Father. As we stand in your presence, Lord, we ask you something that's easier for many of us, to forgive us for our misunderstanding of who you are. Lord, we are sorry. But Lord, what is much more difficult for many of us is to accept and embrace your fatherhood of us and just how much you love us. Lord, I ask you for a revelation in our hearts. And I also ask that you would come flooding in and that you would drive out and ridicule in our own minds our wrong understandings of who you are. That your love would literally overwhelm us. Lord, even if that drives us to tears at the most embarrassing moments, 
as your love just touches us and overwhelms us, we accept from deep down in our heart who you have told us you are to us, our Father. Deliver us from wrong thinking patterns. Deliver us and heal us from bad and even terrible experiences that we've had. Do what only you can do in our hearts. Set us free to be your children, to accept that we are your children, to know that we are your children, almighty God. And so, Lord, we declare our trust in you. You as our Father. You as the greatest lover of everything that we are, not just our souls, but soul and spirit, mind and body, everything that we are, everything that we can be, and everything that you've purposed for us to be. We declare our trust in you, and we thank you for the real riches that you have stored up to resource your people and the plan you have for them. So we declare, Lord, for 2024 that we are going to walk in that reality. We're going to catch the little foxes. We're going to seek them out. We're going to catch them and we're going to get rid of them so that they do not ruin the vineyards, the vines, the wine, the sweet wine of your presence. Today and through the rest of this year and every day for the rest of our lives. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.